Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may, be, they may trample them under their feet, and they may turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks you for bread... We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks you for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So there's this lady and she goes to, to Walmart to have her her pictures developed. I guess they don't develop pictures anymore. So she goes to have her pictures printed after the holidays. And so she's taken all of these pictures at the, at the holidays and she goes to, to Walmart. She's going to have these, these pictures printed for her. And she talks to the guy in the, in the photo shop, the guy behind the counter. She says, can you do some things to these pictures to, to help my appearance? And he's like, well, what do you mean? She says, well, can you, can you take all these wrinkles away? He says, yeah, I've got software for that. I can take away the, the wrinkles. And she says, that's great. What about, can you, can you take off 30 pounds from me? And he says, sure, no problem. I can do that. I can take off 30 pounds. She says, okay, so you, you take away the wrinkles and you take away the 30 pounds from me. He says, yes. She says, can you take all of that and can you put them on my sister? <laughs> family. Sometimes family dynamics and, and family relationships, they can be a little messy. Can I get an amen on that? Or at least an oh Yeah. Sometimes family dynamics and relationships are, are messy, and the same is true of church. Uh, church is a family, and sometimes the dynamics and the relationships are, are messy. It's like the guy who gets asked, you know, if you could do it all over again, would you have kids again? 
And he says, yes, I would. I just wouldn't have the same ones. <laughs> Sometimes family dynamics and relationships are, are a little bit messy. And the church, the kingdom of God, lived out in community <clears throat> is a little messy at times. <clears throat> but what it means to, to be church is that we who are many are all made one in Christ. He is the one who unites us. Because greater is He that is in us than He who is in the world. And greater is the one that unites us than anything that could possibly ever divide us. With me so far. Cultural anthropologists have divided um, our current demographics of society into, into five primary categories. The I-Gen, or the I-Generation, which is 0 to 23, those who are age 0 to age 23. Millennials, who are ages 24 to 42. Gen X, which are those who are ages 43 to 54, that's also the group that has the greatest music. And then the baby boomers, ages 55 to 73. And then the traditionalists, that's the term that's been given, the traditionalists, which are those who are ages 74 and up. And you may not like the category that you just got divided into. There are, there are different ways to divide uh, these groups and to draw these lines. You might be saying to yourself, hey, at one time I was Gen Y and all of a sudden I got assimilated into the, to the millennial category. That, that's just because anthropologists determined that your category wasn't very important. <clears throat> but go to the next slide. I wanted to start today with the stats of our church family. Uh, and also to say thank you to, to Audrey Holland who pulled these statistics from our database. So those that comprise, that compose the East Ridge Church of Christ, 31% that I-Gen, I-Generation, 21% millennials, 15% the group with the greatest music, Gen Xers, 23% baby boomers, and then traditionalists, that final 10%. Traditionalists, or as, as, as Irene and Clark Webb have recently called uh, the traditionalist group, the thank goodness we made it group. <laughs> or as Dwight Walker at times will say, the I don't even buy green bananas group. Uh, which, which uh, if I'm keeping track, Dwight actually fits into the, to the baby boomer category. But look at these numbers. Some of these numbers you might expect, some perhaps uh, you might not. This is truly one of the things that we celebrate as a church family. Unity within diversity, specifically diversity within our church family in being a multi-generational church. This is a multi-generational family of God that meets here in this place. One of the things that, that we're doing this year, many of us are participating in prayer pals. Prayer pals intentionally connecting those from an older generation and those from a younger generation in order to, for those from the older generation to pray for, for the younger we're intentionally seeking to be, we want to be a multi-generational 
Church, having said that, I don't know if you've noticed, but we tend to do and to process things differently in different ways, sometimes along the lines of being in these different categories. We're family, and so we love, and we support one another. We're one because of Christ. That's who makes us who we are. It's just a little thing that we call church. And we don't always do that well. But we're striving. Here's my point with all of this. With some of the things that we've been considering along the way in the Sermon on the Mount, and some of the things that we're going to look at this morning, Jesus addresses issues and events and things and topics that we tend to process differently. We at times hear things differently because, well, simply because we have different perspectives. I, there's the, the story of, of this, this man who thinks that his wife is becoming hard of hearing. And so she's at, the, she's at the, the, the sink in the kitchen with her back to him, and so he's across the room, and he just decides he's going to test and see how, how much she's struggling with her hearing. And so he, he calls out, honey, can you hear me? No response. He gets about halfway across the kitchen. Honey, can you hear me? She's got her back to him. She's at the sink. Doesn't respond. He gets right up behind her, right behind her, and he says, Honey, can you hear me? She says, Good grief. I have said three times, yes. What do you want? (laughs) That's all the jokes I've got this morning. Sometimes we hear things differently. We, we hear things differently dependent upon experience or our worldview. We see things differently because of our worldviews. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, regardless of where you fit into this chart, our worldview as people of the kingdom is the kingdom. That's what Jesus is after. Our worldview is the kingdom. Our task, our goal, our aim is to be as true and faithful as possible to our calling in the kingdom while allowing ample room for God to be God. And so our, our text today begins and ends with the word of judgment. Begin with me, if you will, Matthew 7. Let's just look, look at verses 1 and 2. Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. We have to make judgment calls. We have to be discerning of of what God wants from us. We have to be discerning of what God wants for us, what we believe to be true within the biblical text. But when it comes to eternal judgment, specifically condemnation, we leave eternal judgment to God. Judgment is is way above our pay grades. And at times you might hear somebody say, oh, well, only God can judge me in their and they're right, the appropriate response to that might be yes, and that should scare you. 
But even if we, if we ever find ourselves, if we ever find ourselves in the judging business, we need to have a going out of business sale. <clears throat> because we're a flawed people. God's word is not flawed. His gospel's not flawed. But we are. I am. You are. We don't know where we're, where we're wrong, but all of us are wrong somewhere. And Jesus says that if, if we withhold mercy, if we withhold justice, if we withhold grace from others, expect God to withhold it from you. And then that puts us in that category of yes, and that should scare you. But we're all wrong somewhere in our understanding. Let me try it this way. Go to the next slide there, Adam. Blood is thicker than water. Heard the expression? It's it's an expression we've heard our our entire lives. It's It's an English proverb. What does that phrase mean? Blood is thicker than water. What's it mean? It means that nothing matters more than family. Does it not? That's what it, nothing matters more than family. Blood is thicker than water. Nothing, nobody, no one matters more than your kin. That's what that means, right? Wrong. What if, what if I were to tell you that we have misunderstood this proverb our entire lives? What if I told you that it doesn't mean what we think that it means? Would you believe me? Probably not. But what if I told you that the expression, blood is thicker than water, that it, that it came out of the First World War, out of a hundred years ago, or over a hundred years ago, and that it came out of the, the trenches on the Western Front where soldiers were living and dying beside one another, spilling blood, taking care of one another. And that the expression comes out of World War I of over a hundred years ago of men dying alongside of one another, spilling blood together. And the expression actually means that the, those experiences, those shared experiences, are more important than the water of the womb or of childbirth. And then all of a sudden we're confronted with the fact that the proverb actually communicates the exact opposite of what we thought it to mean. We just don't know what it's like to be wrong. We just, we don't. Some of you are like, well, hold on a second. I've been married for a long time. I know what it's like to be wrong. No, you don't know what it's like to be wrong. You know what it's like to have been wrong and then to have been corrected, and for your thinking to have changed. We don't know what it's like to be wrong. If we knew what it was like to be wrong, we wouldn't be wrong anymore. We'd be right. Does that make sense? I'm wrong somewhere. I just don't know where. I don't know where, otherwise I wouldn't be wrong anymore. I'd be right. Do not judge, or you'll be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus, in what's referred to as the Sermon on the Plain in Luke chapter 6, 
says, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. It could also be translated, be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Do not judge, or you'll be judged. Do not condemn, or you too will be condemned. Jesus is saying that we're not in the judgment business, that God is the one who judges, and so we leave eternal judgment to God. At the same time, we have to make judgment calls. We have to seek and strive to be as faithful to God as we possibly can. To be true and faithful to God and true and faithful to Scripture. But leave eternal condemnation to God. He then has this great illustration of of trying to get this microscopic speck out of someone else's eye while all the time, all the while having a two-by-six in your own own eye. Don't think for a moment that Jesus doesn't have a really good sense of humor. But do we ever see ourselves for that potential? Do we ever see ourselves for that potential as being the one who's got the plank in our own eye? Uh, Thinking to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 14 in regard to the weaker and the stronger brother. Do we ever see our potential for being the weaker one? We always see ourselves in a position of str- a position of strength, and that's the reason for Jesus's illustration being a warning against hypocrisy, hypocrisy in regard to being judgmental. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says. Don't think that God takes this sort of thing lightly. It's heaven or hell. But not necessarily heaven or hell for those that we might think. If we become harsh judges. He then says, don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Which, to be honest, means nothing really, very little to to us except to the Jews. That statement meant everything because these were the things that Jews would say in regard to non-Jews. In regard to Gentiles. They referred to them, they referred to the Gentiles as dogs and pigs. Don't give them an inch. They'll take advantage of you. You better watch your backs. They'll tear you to pieces. Be leery. Be leery of those who aren't like us. Those who don't dress like us, look like us, behave like us, speak the same language as us, come from what we would consider as lesser nations than us. Be careful. Be be careful of the other. Be careful of what you don't know. Be careful of the unknown. That was the prevailing thought for the Jews of Jesus' day. Now surely in 2019 America, we've moved beyond that sort of smug elitism. Which is precisely why in verse 12, Jesus will say, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
It's all about our hearts before the Lord. But before we get there, look with me at verses 7 and 8 of Matthew 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who knocks, uh, the one one who asks, receives, the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What is, what is it? Ask and, and it will be given to you. I think Jesus is still referring to our heart's desire. But it's our true heart's desire. Whether, whether they, those who are in the original audience, or we realize it or not, we desire the kingdom. It's in our internal wiring. We desire the kingdom. We crave the kingdom. We crave that which is from God. We yearn for for His kingdom. We yearn for His righteousness. Blessed are those, we saw in the Beatitudes, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they'll be filled. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Not in some sort of self-serving way, but in a kingdom way. He then says, if you then, though you are evil, and that, that hurts a little bit. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, good things to, to your children when they ask you. How much greater, how much of a greater capacity... Does your heavenly Father, who is perfect, know how to give good, good things, good gifts to you? And so as a child in need of a perfect heavenly Father, ask, seek, knock, pursue God, petition God. Stay in steps, stay in sync with God. Be diligent in being in tune with God. Approach Him as your heavenly Father, whose name is holy, seeking for His kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus is building and building and building upon what He's previously taught us. And so in everything, look at verse 12. In everything, do unto others. Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. It's interesting because Jesus has previously, in chapter 5, Jesus has said, all the law, all the prophets, they all point toward me, right? Jesus has said, everything that God set into motion throughout the ages, it all culminates in in me elsewhere he'll say that the greatest commands are what love God and love others these sum up the law and the prophets the the law and the prophets they hinge upon those two commands and then here in verse 12 what we know as the golden rule he sums up the law and the prophets do unto others Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. I so appreciate 
Glenn Stinson's prayer earlier in, in regard to, to praying for humanity and people around the world, especially in light of the recent attack in New Zealand. And Glenn's specific wording of his prayer for all people, Christians, Jews, Muslims, everyone. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This sums up the law and the prophets. These these are paramount, important, can't miss them, don't miss them rules of life. These are the commands found in the Sermon on the Mount and within the ministry of the Messiah. These are not optional. If we want to be kingdom people, putting others first, considering others better than yourselves, the last being first, and all of that, this is not just lip service. This is what is required if we're going to be kingdom people. These are not just hopeful ideals. This is the kingdom of God. The late Dallas Willard writes this, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we didn't have to. He died on the cross so that we might join Him. If you don't believe Professor Willard, just ask Jesus, who says, if anyone would come after me, they must first take up their cross daily and then follow me. And so Jesus warns us. He warns us. Don't get in the way of God. I think there's got to be a connection here with what Jesus says in regard to ask, seek, and knock. There's got to be a connection here with Jesus' declaration in John 14 of I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And the connection is the heart of the follower of Jesus, the heart of the the person of the kingdom, and the connection to to Jesus as the the way and the truth and the life is revealed clearly in the the final two verses that we're going to look at this morning. Look at verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate. Narrow the the road. Narrow is the way. That leads to life. And only a few, only a few find it. Anyone here ever heard of a a Broadway church? You know, as far as churches, we tend to name our churches after geography. You ever notice that? Anybody, you ever heard of the, the, the Broadway, think about Churches of Christ, the Broadway Church of Christ in, in Tyler or in Galveston or in the Broadway Church of Christ in, in Lubbock? I'm, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting for the day for a, a church to say, you know what, Broadway, that's, we shouldn't name our church that. I'm waiting for the day for a church to say, we are the, we're the Narrow Way Church of Christ on Broadway Boulevard. That would be, that would be um, pretty phenomenal. 
They're uh, on a little country road uh, off Highway 64 in between Canton and Tyler. There's the community of Little Hope. <laughs> and uh, as, you're, as you're driving on 64, you'll see a little sign that says the Little Hope, the Little Hope Baptist Church. That's right. They couldn't, they couldn't not name it after the community. Now, before you make any judgments in regard to the name, I refer you to our previous text and discussion. Broadway. Oh, broad is the way that leads to, leads to destruction. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And just as we, as we saw in verse 1, we see again in verse 14. Verses 13 and 14. There's a word of judgment here. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small, small is the gate and narrow the road. Narrow is the way. It leads to life. Spiritual life. Eternal life. And only a few find it. I said a couple of weeks ago, stop trying to be the majority. And that sounds so strange to us. That doesn't impact, that doesn't, that doesn't affect our call to be light in a world of darkness, to, to be in this world but not of this, of this world, to, to, to go into all the world making disciples. It doesn't diminish our call. And yet Christians have always been and will always be the minority. Why? Because narrow is the way. We follow Jesus. Narrow is the way that we follow. We follow the way of Jesus. We follow the way of the kingdom. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Or as Robert Frost wrote, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere Ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. And so leave the judging to God. Ask, seek, and knock. Do good unto others. And journey. Journey the narrow way of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, in the, in the words of the, of the psalmists, show us Your way. Show us Your way that we might have the conviction and capacity to, to walk the the road that You have called us to. Show us the way. Help us to to be men and women of of faith and faithfulness that that who You are and the priorities that You have would would be evident in the lives that You've blessed us to live. Help us, God, to to be intent upon following Jesus. Father, help us to be transformed more and more into His image. 
Help us, God, as, as disciples. Help us as disciples to make disciples. And help us to do so by following your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sermon on the Mount. Challenging all the way through. Challenging us to be people of the kingdom. This morning, if if God's call upon your life to be a person of the kingdom requires prayer, we'd like nothing more than to surround you as as brothers and sisters and to pray for you. Maybe rather than coming down front, what what would benefit you would be to to find one of our elders, one of our shepherds who who will be standing at different places uh, around this worship center this morning and to seek them out, ask ask them to to pray over you. They are, are honorable men who would be honored to pray for you individually. And uh, this morning, if, if you've not given your life to Jesus by being baptized into Him, I pray that you would have the boldness this morning to come and to be a part of the kingdom of God by being baptized into Christ. Let's all stand and sing.